I brought my big Bible that I bring when people know I'm an Anglican priest, so it helps to make them more comfortable. Uh, last night, the, the prayer team prayed for me, and I'm pretty sure that was worth the trip coming from Wellington. So thank you, prayer team. About a year ago, I was in the chapel, uh, at our chapel, at the, at the chaplaincy, and I was praying with a group of people, and it was in the morning, and I was just praying. I said, Lord, I'd really love to share the gospel with somebody today. I'd really love it. And I walked out of our chapel and I went into our cafe and there was a, a, a girl, kind of an, a little older student sitting there and she goes, she looked at me, she goes, what do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm the chaplain here. And she goes, oh, can you tell me what Christians believe about heaven and about salvation? <laughs> I said, yes, I think I can. Another time I was at the Rainbow Gathering and we were, that year it was in Michigan in a national forest and, and for some reason the Rainbow family had picked an, an area of the forest where the Forest Service had kind of introduced flies into the area to do an experiment. So we set up our kitchen and, and we're covered with flies. You know, and, and the whole point of a kitchen is to feed people so they can, we can talk with them. So it wasn't working very well. And so we got together and we started praying. We said, Lord, this isn't good to have all these flies here. I said, make, make the Jesus kitchen a, a no-fly zone. And so we were just praying, make it a no-fly zone. The next day, people came into our kitchen and there was no flies. And we kind of, you know, they would say, wow, there's hardly any flies here. And I goes, yeah, I know. I know, we prayed and God answered our prayer. I love it when that happens. When I pray and my prayers get answered, like instantly, and, and the presence of God is so tangible and the power of God is so present. I love to live like that. But I love to live by what I see and by what I feel. Unfortunately, that's not always my experience. And there's times where I'm not sure where God is. The scripture that was read this morning kind of tells a story like that where Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, close friends of Jesus, you know, they have a problem. Lazarus gets sick and Jesus isn't there. And so Mary and Martha, they send for Jesus. They say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You, you need to come because they know if Jesus shows up, he will heal Lazarus because that's what he does. But he, he, didn't, he didn't show up and, he, and Lazarus dies and then finally Jesus comes into town and, and as he's coming into town, Mary, Martha runs out to him and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Basically saying, Jesus, where were you? You, di you didn't show up. And then Mary comes in and she says the same thing, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? Have you ever been there? Where he cried out to God, and he didn't answer. He just, he just didn't show up. And it seems like he left you, just left you hanging. There's another guy in scripture. His name is Job. One day, Job had a really bad day. <laughs> and in his really bad day, he lost everything. Lost his wealth. He lost his kids. His kids were killed. 
And then he lost his health. And he's really, really sick. And all he has left is his wife. And his wife says, why don't you curse God and die? Trying to encourage him, I think. (laughs) And the whole book of Job is basically Job saying, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Why did all this bad stuff happen? And in Job 23, here's what he says. 23.8, he says, behold, I go forward, but he, God, is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he's working, I don't behold him. And he turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. He's like, I don't know where God is. I go forward, I go backward, left and right. I don't know where he is. Have you ever been there? Where you just, you can't find God? You're looking everywhere and you just don't know where he is. A few years after we started the hardcore Bible study, the the ministry that we started back in the 90s, I I was in Amsterdam. And uh, I was flying into Amsterdam and and I had this year and a half where where I had, you know, trying to share the gospel with people, having having non-Christians think I was a fool and having Christians think I was the devil and I was just sick of it. And I didn't want to do it anymore. And I didn't know if I wanted to follow Jesus anymore. Not a good space to be in where you're supposed to be the band pastor for this, you know, mission trip. <laughs> but that's where I was. I couldn't, I couldn't find God. Wandering around Central Station in Amsterdam, trying to find God. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Why does that happen? Why does it happen? Well, like I said, I think all of us kind of like to live by what we see and by what we feel. It's really a fun space to be in. But apparently, God wants us to learn to live by faith as well. And there's something that happens during that period of time that, that deepens our faith and that makes us become different people. And I'm pretty sure that if you, if you haven't been there, you probably will be there at some point. You'll experience that, that dark night of the soul. And if you are in that time, I think this is what God might be trying to do. Teach us how to live by faith. And when we get to the other side of it, and we do, when you get to the other side of it, you get to see God in a way that you would have never experienced him if you hadn't gone through it. When Mary and Martha You know, at the end of the story, Jesus comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. They would have never known that Jesus was strong enough to raise somebody from the dead if they hadn't walked through that. It was hard for them. It's hard for Lazarus too. He had to die. But it was hard for them to go through that. But at the end, when they got through it, they knew Jesus could raise the dead. And Job, at the end of the story, at the end of the book, God shows up. He gets to encounter God. And he, and he encounters God and he basically says, I'm an idiot, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. Doesn't get any of his questions answered. But it was enough 
it was enough for him that God showed up in a, in a way he had never experienced before. That year, when I was wandering around Central Station in Amsterdam, after hours of just kind of crying out to God and feeling like nobody was listening, I finally, I finally came to the conclusion. I said, okay, God, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if I'll ever feel you again. I don't know if I'll ever hear your voice again, but I know this is true. And I know you're real. And I'm gonna follow you. And it was like I, I pounded a stake into the ground in 1994 in Amsterdam. It was a significant moment of my life. I've never forgotten it. And I look back to that moment because you know what? You know, after I got done praying, you know, the heavens didn't open. I didn't see angels. You know, it was, wasn't an experience like that. But slowly, I began to see God's presence again and feel his presence. And I went on this, you know, mission trip that I, I told some of you about um, in Poland. And, you know, over the course of, of 10 days, we saw about 700 people give their lives to Jesus in these kind of crazy clubs. Now, God, you know, God didn't have to do that, and it wasn't about me, actually. But that decision I made that I wasn't going to turn back, even if I didn't feel God's presence or see him or hear his voice, um, was a turning point for me. And I've been there again. I'd like to say that's the last time I've ever had that experience. It's not. I've had that again. Uh, Years later, I, we were coming back from the Rainbow Gathering, and, and it, was a, it was a tough trip. And on our way home, we had some breakdowns with our vehicles and breakdowns with relationships. I had to stand in between two of my guys because they were going to kill each other. And so, I mean, it was, wasn't a great way to end a mission trip. And, and I got home, and I'm just like, I'm sick of this. And I was just kind of taking some time off, and I was driving around. <laughs> I was driving around Minneapolis, and, and a guy, I stopped at a stoplight, and a guy knocked on my window and he wanted a ride, and so I said, sure, get in. I don't always do that. I probably don't recommend it, but I, I said, sure, get in. And so I start driving, and, and, he, and he tells me he's a missionary from South Africa, and he's trying to get to this church in the city. And so I'm driving around, and I can't find the church, and I, I pull up in front of a, a different church, and he goes, oh, this one will do. And, and by this time, I'm thinking, this guy's kind of crazy, and I just want him out of the car. Uh, and then... And then he, he looks at me and goes, can I pray for you before I get, get out of the car? I said, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. And he starts praying for me, and he starts praying stuff that he shouldn't know, that there's no way he could have known, you know, stuff that was, was in my heart. And I'm kind of grabbing on the steering wheel going, this is strange. It's a crazy experience. And then, then he gets out of the car, and he starts heading towards the church, and he disappeared. No, nah, he didn't really disappear, but it was. <laughs> it would have been cool if he did. I don't, I don't know if he's an, he was an angel, but I really believe God sent him to me. Put him on that street corner to remind me that, Mark, you've been here before. And I haven't abandoned you. It might seem like it but I haven't abandoned you. I'm still there. 
So I want to I want to give some advice if you're there, or some advice for when you get there. What do we do when we can't find God? I think the first thing we should do is examine our lives, examine our lives, see what's going on. Sometimes, sometimes we have this lack of of God's presence and power in our lives because we're running away from him and God's trying to get us to turn around. Sometimes it's because sin in our life. So we need to at least start there and examine our lives, see if there's any willful sin going on. I think the second thing that we can do is take a nap. Sometimes we have spiritual crises in our life and really we're just tired. And you need to sleep. And especially college students. Where I work, half of the university is on medication for depression and anxiety just about. And some of that is because they're just too tired. They need to take care of themselves. Our physical bodies affect our spiritual life. You need to eat right, and you need to sleep, and you need to exercise. So do that. Um, I've had many crises that went away when I took a nap. It's a brilliant strategy. (laughs) Another thing you can do is change the way you connect with God. Sometimes that, that season you're in is an invitation from God to kind of press in closer. Maybe you need to go away and do a retreat. Maybe you need to, to fast for a while. Maybe you need to have some solitude. Uh, do those things that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years that might be helpful. So sometimes we just need to kind of change the way that we're connecting with God. Or maybe realize that we're not trying to connect with God at all and, and maybe put some disciplines in, in place. Sometimes that can help. Next thing that you can do and that you must do is you have to tell someone. You can't pretend that everything is okay. God really doesn't like that kind of pretending us when we pretend to be something we're not. If you read Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, he dealt with that really really strongly. It was the first sin that God dealt with in the church after the Holy Spirit came, and it was that of being a poser. And he killed them. Just kind of sped up Judgment Day really, really fast. We have to tell someone. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about the shield of faith. And it's not one of those little round gladiator shields, the word that he uses there. It's one of those big you know, rectangle ones that they would, they would hook up to make a wall in army wood. And I think that's a really good picture that, that sometimes I'm just not strong enough and I need to hook up. I need to hook up with somebody else. I need, I need other people to help me carry that, that shield of faith. I gotta tell someone. I can't pretend everything is, is okay. I've had this wonderful community that I lived with in Minneapolis that held up my shield of faith when I couldn't do it. I mean, I used to get you know, kind of irritated with people who couldn't get their stuff together. It's like, come on, just get it together. What's your problem? And then I was in that space and I couldn't get it together. I couldn't. 
In 2001, my wife divorced me. I went through a devastating divorce. I don't think there is any other kind of divorce. But I, I thought I was going to die. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to live. I didn't know where I was going to live. And at that time, we had started a few community houses in the, in the city. And, and, and so I was praying, and, 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 uh, and I felt like God wanted me to, to go live in one of those. And uh, I used to mock our group living in intentional Christian community. And uh, we would joke about whatever would happen if I lived with them, how they would drive me crazy and I would drive them crazy. And, and I said, okay, God, if you want me to go live there, you, need, you gotta tell them. And I get a call later from Nick and Sharn. And they say, Mark, we really, we really think it'd be good if you came and lived with us. We'll give you the whole first floor of the house and so your kids can come over. And I moved in to this community house and those guys took care of me. For two years, they took care of me. They cried with me. We ate lots of ice cream together. <laughs> they, they held up my shield when I couldn't do it. Along the way, I, I, I um, was invited to speak in, at a festival in Poland and I, I flew over there and and it was fine, it was good, and, and it was the first time I spoke after that happened, and I was like, well, can God still use me? And you know what I did? I gave a message to this crowd of people, and it was similar to this one, what do you do when you can't find God? And a bunch of people gave their lives to Jesus on a message about what do you do when you can't find God? But I flew home, and I'm on the plane, and I'm thinking, I don't wanna go back, because there's not gonna be anybody at the airport waiting for me. And you know, I'm in this plane and, and somebody had a heart attack and so the plane gets diverted and goes to Iceland. I mean, it wasn't because of my prayer about not wanting to go home, but <laughs> finally we take off again and we go and we land in, in Minneapolis and I get off the plane and my whole team is waiting for me. And they had little you know, Hawaiian lays and they put them around my neck and they all hugged me. one of the best moments of my life. We need each other. We need each other. And if you're in this space this morning where you can't find God, you gotta tell someone. Because what happens when we're in that space is the enemy isolates us and then accuses God and accuses us. And a lot of people bail out in the midst of this. They just kind of give up. And maybe they keep going through the motions, but inside, they stop believing that a real relationship with God where he's present and powerful in my life is ever possible. Well, the last piece of advice for you is hang on. It won't last forever. 
It just seems like it. It won't last forever. It might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a few years. But when you get to the other side, you're gonna be able to experience God in a way that you never would have if you hadn't gone through that time. I hate those times. And yet at this point in my life, I see how valuable they've been, how important those times have been in my life. Where God just kind of takes me deeper. I was walking the streets years ago and praying and I felt like God said to me, Mark, will you, will you keep going even if you never see anything? Will you be the guy who just doesn't give up? We'll keep going. And I thought, well, that's not fair. <laughs> I don't wanna be that guy. But I said, I said yeah. I will. I went back and told my team, and they're like, well, thanks a lot. We actually want to see something. This is hard. We want to see something. And I was speaking at a church many years later, and I was sitting there, and I got introduced as, this is Mark. He's the guy who doesn't give up. And I thought, and I thought back to that moment. I thought, wow, God's really been faithful because he's the one who helps us not give up anyway. If you're in that space this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. You will see the miracle on the other side. God will come to you again. In fact, he's never left. And you will. So I'm gonna close in prayer. But I wanna encourage you, if you're in that space right now, to not not let this day end before you tell somebody, tell a friend, tell a staff member. I just have someone pray for you. Lord, I thank you for those difficult times in my life where you've taken me deeper. And God, I, I know this, this is part of the deeper life. This is part of it. And so I pray you'd encourage everyone here this morning. Those who are in that space right now and are frustrated and want so much to hear your voice, I pray you'd encourage them and strengthen them and surround them with your people. And I pray for those of us who might not be in that space that we can reflect on it again and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for never letting go. So Lord, protect your people today from the lies and the accusations of the enemy who wants us to believe that you're not there and that you don't care. So I pray these things in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. I believe you're dismissed.